curse him. It's well with my soul. <laughs> the hematologist him, are you washed in the blood? The umpire is him, I need no other argument. <laughs> Alright, we have our favorite hymns, right? Okay, now let's move to today's session. An example of uh, someone who did not abide in the word of the Lord, in the word of God. It's a sad story in many ways, but I think we need to look at sad stories also uh, because there are lessons in it for us. Uh, everything that is written in the Bible is there for a purpose, for you and me to learn. Uh, and the Bible is about people who are real, people who face challenges like you and me, uh, people who struggle to abide in the Word. Uh, and so those st stories are written so that we would learn from them and not uh, continue in the wrongs that they did. So. Uh, we will look at the life of Saul together uh, and see, uh, learn some precious lessons. So you turn with me to First Samuel chapter 9. First Samuel chapter 9. You know, Saul began very promisingly. You know, our beginnings are usually quite good, right? When we come to the Lord, we are full of enthusiasm, you know? We want to read his word, we want to be at the meetings, we want to learn, we are hungry. And there is uh, so much energy and passion in our faith when we begin. And that's, that was no different for Saul. So look at some of his characteristics in his early days. Chapter 9 verse 1 and 2. Somebody can read that? Chapter 9 verse 1 and 2. Okay, so what do you read about Saul here? He was a handsome guy. A head and shoulders above everybody else. Okay, in fact Samuel says there is no one like Saul in all of Israel. He was uh, physically uh, imposing and uh, handsome. Uh, 9 verse 21 9 verse 21. There is a streak of humility in him. When Samuel told God has chosen you, he didn't put his collar up on Yah and the guy. <laughs> did he say that? No. What did he say? I'm just an ordinary guy. I'm from, in fact, the smallest tribe in Israel. I'm just a Benjaminite. Nothing special about me. Why do you say such things about me? So there is humility in this young man as he began. Uh, chapter 10, verse 11. Chapter 10, verse 11. He 
is a spiritual man. Okay? He is prophesying with the prophets. He is a spiritual guy. You know, he's, he's, uh, 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 he's filled with the spirit and he is prophesying with all the other prophets. So there is spirituality in him in his beginning. Chapter 10 verse 24. Chapter 10 verse 24. The man whom the Lord has chosen and there is no one like him in all of Israel. That's, that's the comment about this young man uh, as he began his, uh, uh, his journey. Uh, chapter 11 verse 13. Now, I have to explain that. What happened was, when uh, Saul was um, anointed king, there were many people who did not like him. Okay? They didn't want him to be king over him. So they rebelled. They said, when, when, Samuel, uh, when Saul said, we'll go fight the enemy, they said, we're not coming with you. We don't want you to be our leader. And they go and fight the war and they win the victory and they come back and Saul's men say, we got to kill these fellows. These fellows are rebelled against you, who wouldn't come with you. Now we, we need to rid ourselves of them. And that is when Saul is saying, no, 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 don't do that. Today is the day that the Lord has given us victory. This is not the time to kill our own people. So you see a generous spirit in this uh, person called Saul. Uh, that was his beginning. He reigned for 42 years, 42 years. By the end of 42 years, he was filled with psychological jealousy. His mind and emotions were a wreck. He lost the respect of the people around him, even his family. He was incapable of love or peace or joy. Now, how could such a man with such tremendous promise in his early life end up like this? How does somebody end up like that? In fact, I think that is the saddest thing to see, isn't it? When somebody with so much promise, you expect so much from them, and at the end of the life, you look at that person, and we think, what a failure. How does this happen? Why does this happen? There are four stages we look in, uh, Samuel's, uh, Saul's life, four stages that took him away and away and away and away and brought him to the place where he ended so badly. Alright? And maybe God wants to talk to you and say, where are you in your journey with me? Are you abiding? Or are you drifting away? Because drifting is dangerous. Moving away is dangerous. And we're going to learn this from the uh, book of, uh, from the life of Saul. The first drifting that came into his life was he learned to tolerate subtle disobedience. He learns to live with disobedience. Okay? So what is the first step of drifting? He learned to live with subtle disobedience. Not big things, but it begins with small things, but then it ends up with bigger things. So let's look at 
the story. First Samuel chapter 13. Come to First Samuel chapter 13. Alright? Chapter 13. Samuel tells Saul that he has to wait in Gilgal until he comes and that he would come in seven days time. Alright? In seven days time Samuel said I will come and then I will offer the sacrifice and then you can go to battle. Okay? With the Philistines. Okay? So Samuel chapter 13 verse 8. Read verse 8. Okay, so seven days Samuel asked him to do what? You wait. I will come and we will offer the sacrifice and then you go to battle. Seven days had passed, but who didn't come? Samuel didn't come. And what was happening? What was happening? People were scattering. Alright, then what happens? Read the next verse. Oh, which one are ready? Samuel said? Did Samuel say that? Who said that? Uh-huh. Not Samuel. Not even Philip. Okay. It was Saul. Okay. Saul t- told what? Bring me burnt offering. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? offer the sacrifice read okay and he offered the burnt offering now my question to you is what is wrong with that he is not a priest okay anything else No, sacrifice has not happened. It has not happened. He is becoming a people pleaser. Okay, okay, just see the context. Seven days passed and what's happening? People are scattering. So what's happening in his heart? Tell me. Huh? He's anxious. He is afraid. So if you are anxious and if you are uncertain and you are afraid, what do you do? Are the sacrifices? Is that the solution? What do you do? Pray. Okay. One is he should have waited. Second is he should have prayed or put to God his fears and his anxieties. He should have brought it to God. Not take the step of offering the sacrifice because somehow he thinks if I offer sacrifice, God will be pleased with me. You got the point? God will be pleased with me. Or God will be with me when I go to battle. If I do this. But that was not his job. What was his job? To wait and to trust God. Now in your life situations, when 
uh, situations like this come, and when we are anxious, and when we are fearful, when we are uncertainly, we tend to do things that um, we think will get God's favor on our side. That's not how God works. How does God work? You have to be obedient to what God tells you and trust Him. If you're anxious, if you're fearful, bring those things before God. Don't presume things and do things that are against God. Okay, so He offers the sacrifice, right? Verse 9, verse uh, 10. Just as he finished making the offering, who came? So what, how long did he have to wait? Half an hour. <laughs> Half an hour? He didn't have to wait long. But he was impatient. He was impatient. He was allowing all these things that was happening to disturb him and take his heart and mind away from the Lord. Instead of abiding in the Lord. Instead of abiding and knowing with confidence that God has told me something, He will be with me and His timing is perfect. So Samuel arrives and verse 11. And what does Saul do? Saul goes out to greet him. But Samuel doesn't respond to the greeting. His first immediate question is what? What have you done? Okay, now he tells the reason, okay? Now just look at the reason that Saul is telling for what he did. Read. And Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at Mikmash, I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the Lord offering. You look at what's happening. Look at what's happening. He says, he, what should he have told? Actually, what should he have told? When Samuel said, Where, what have you done? What should his immediate response have been? Sorry. Sorry, I made a mistake. I didn't wait, I didn't trust, and I did something I should, I have no right to do. But what is he doing? He is rationalizing. He is trying to explain his actions, which actually is, if you look deeply, is, 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 is at the core of it is he's not trusting God. He wants somehow God's favor without following God in the way God has asked him to follow him. He says, you know, uh, people were scattering and you did not come. So in some ways he's blaming whom? He's blaming Samuel also. You didn't come in time. Uh, and uh, the Philistines were gathering together. And I, in the NIV, I thought, now the Philistines will come up down against me. And I have not sought the Lord's favor. He's spiritualizing it also. <laughs> He's even spiritualizing it. I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I thought the best way to find Lord's favor is to offer, offer, offer this. This is the point you have to understand. How do you find God's favor? By doing things 
that you're not supposed to do or by doing things you're supposed to do? Huh? What you're supposed to do? If God told you to wait, what do you do? Wait. Wait. Don't take shortcuts that will not bring God's favor and blessing into your life. In fact, it may bring judgment. So, hey, first I, I felt compelled to do this. And what does Simon say about all these actions, all this thing that he rationalizes and explains? What does Simon say about it in one word? You have done something foolish. You're fools. Uh, uh, so you have done something foolish something terrible you have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you and then someone says something to Saul what does he say if you had obeyed God would have established your kingdom you tell me did he find God's favor or did he find God's judgment? He found God's judgment, not God's favor. How do you find God's favor? Tell me. How do you find God's favor? By obey obedience. By obedience. By trusting. By waiting. Even if you're anxious and you're troubled and you see situations working against you, you have to believe that God is in control of your situation. That He is sovereign. And you've got to trust Him. Don't take shortcuts thinking, you know, I can get God's blessing this way also. No, it, it doesn't work that way. It is through obedience. Alright? So that's one example. Come to uh, chapter 18. Uh, sorry, chapter 15. Chapter 15. First Samuel chapter 15. Alright. Here is God giving him uh, a command. Okay. Uh, verse 2. Verse 2. One, th- 2 and 3. Huh. 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 Oh. Okay, this is God's word. To whom? Saul. To Saul. Alright, this is God's word to Saul. And what is written in scriptures, what you hold in your hands, is God's word to whom? To you and to me. And what is our job? To obey it partly, completely. Okay? To obey it completely, totally. That's what it means to abide in His word. Alright? So, this is God's command to uh, Saul. Now, Saul goes out, was for he, he, he gathers together some people. Verse 7, he attacked the Amalekites all the way. Uh, to Shur and um, uh, he defeats everybody and verse 9 begins with a, with a letter 
What letter does it begin? Verse 9? But. So what does it mean when the word but comes? He is not complete. It's not complete obedience. There's something he has left out. Okay, what does he do? What does he do? What does he do? Read on. He spared Agag. That's the king. Uh, best of the sheep and of the oxen, of the oxen and of the fatted calves, fatted calves and, the lambs, and the lambs and all that was good, was good in whose sight? Huh? In self's sight, not God's sight. <laughs> what was in God's sight? Finish. Israel, God says you finish them off and highlight them. But what does God uh, Saul do? He finds some good in the thing that God has pronounced bad. Okay. Verse 10, then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I made Saul king because he has turned away from me and not, not carried my instruction. Samuel is angry. Early morning he goes up and he comes to meet Saul. Alright. Uh, read verse 12. Uh, verse 13. Verse 13. Samuel came to Saul, oh. and Saul said to him, oh. Blessed be you to the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Okay, Samuel, no spiritual language. <laughs> Hena? Praise the Lord, brother. <laughs> Hena? Hallelujah. Hena? 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 He knows all those languages. He knows... I don't know whether he even realizes that he has disobeyed God's law. And here is a servant of the Lord coming and he has no inkling that God is angry with him. And he is putting on this show of spirituality. Alright? Um, verse, uh, which verse we are, okay. Uh, verse 13. Uh, verse 14. He says, verse 13, he says, bless the, praise the Lord and all, he says, and he says, I have followed the instructions of the Lord. Okay. And then Samuel asks something. What does he ask? What then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears, in my ears lowing of the oxen that I hear? What says you're saying? You followed God's command. But what is this I am hearing? There seems to be a contrast between what you are saying and what I am hearing. From what I am hearing, I am understanding that you did not follow God's instructions completely. But you are saying you have fulfilled God's instructions completely. Okay. And then uh, uh, Samuel uh, then Saul answers what does Saul answer again verse 15 verse 15 
and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. This is what you call selective obedience. You understand that? Selective obedience. You choose what you obey and you choose what you don't obey. Or you think what God is telling you, it it seems irrational. Why should I follow him? Here are these beautiful, wonderful, lovely animals. Why should I waste it away by killing them and destroying them? So, in some way, he's questioning God's wisdom. He's questioning God's wisdom. That's what you do when you selectively obey God. You're questioning God's wisdom. Then he again rationalizes. He again rationalizes. Instead of saying sorry and apologizing, he rationalizes. What does he say? I spared the best sheep for what? To sacrifice to the Lord. The rest I have decided. I am doing a favor to God, you see. And so what does Samuel say? We have those profound words that Samuel says. What does he say? Stop. Stop. Stop this rationalizing. Stop this rubbish you are talking. I don't want to hear this. He never obeyed God. You are not fulfilled this instruction. Now listen to what God has to say to you now. And what does God has to say to him? And what does God has to say to each one of us here? What does God have to say to us? Huh? Now there is this amazing statement that he says. Okay, he gives in a history about his lesson and then he goes on to say, verse 22. Does God want your burnt offerings and your sacrifices? Does God want your money? If God wants to send you to missions, Will you say, Lord, I will work, earn money and send money for missions? Is that what God wants you wants you to do? Your money, is that what God wants? No. It's you that God wants. It's your obedience that God is looking for. Not what you can offer God. But what you can offer to God is your obedience to Him. And for Him to take you and use you for His glory. And then... Samuel says, Rebellion is like a sin of divination. Arrogance like an evil, evil idolatry. And God has, because you have, and then he goes on to say, to, to, to obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. So that's the principle. What is the principle? Obedience is better than sacrifice. God is not, not looking for sacrifice, but He is looking for obedience. And obedience to what He asks you to do. Obedience to the Word, not selective obedience. Not obedience to think you like and what you don't like, you don't obey. No, that's not the way God is calling you to live your life. Abiding in the Word means you listen to what God is saying and obey, obey totally, completely. If God says annihilate, what do you do? Annihilate. It's not you 
you ask the question, I'm going to tell you why, why, and the danger of selectively obeying, obeying God. The danger of selectively obeying, obeying God, I'm going to show, show that to you. Not just in the present, not just in your generation, but even generations beyond, the effect of your disobedience will still be working. So disobedience is not some ordinary thing. It is a serious offense. God is offended when you and I don't uh, 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 obey Him. Okay, come to Second Samuel chapter 1. Second Samuel quickly to chapter 1. This is uh, the death of uh, Saul's no- uh, 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 nose of Saul's death comes to David and they are waiting uh, and then a young man comes running uh, and uh, he brought this report uh, that Saul is dead and his sons are dead. So David asked them, how do you know Saul is dead and Jonathan is dead? And he said, I was on this mount and Saul was leaning on his spirit, trying to kill himself. Uh, 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 he called out to me and said, uh, called out to me and said, what can I do? He, he asked me, who are you? And what does he say? Who I am? I am a who? So in whose hand did Saul die? What did God tell him to do? To finish off the... And here he has been killed by who? An Amalekite. Okay, come to Esther chapter 3. Esther chapter 3. Alright, verse 1. Which one? Which one are you reading? Read it loudly. Hmm. Where is it written about Haman? Huh? 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 Uh, which, which verse is that? And all the king's servants who were at the king's gates bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded... Who is Haman? Haman? Agagite. Okay, who is Agag? Uh, the king whom Saul what? He spared. Okay, he didn't obey God's command. He spared Agag. Now his descendant is... In, in this province in Babylon and he is plotting to kill whom? Jews. All the Jews. He is plotting to kill all the Jews. And he would have succeeded if it was not for God raising Esther. So you see the danger that he has brought to his own people because he disobeyed God or he selectively obeyed God. You see the danger, this is many generations later, but the danger of disobeying God is to put God's people in danger. And who knew this? God knew this. That's why he commanded uh, uh, Saul to do what? 
to inherit them. So there is a purpose in what God tells you to do. Okay, there is a purpose in what God tells you to do. When God gives you a command, he, he, there is a purpose. There is, there is meaning. There is a bigger picture that you need to see. You know, sometimes we look at the small picture and we think God is asking you to do something stupid. No. God sees the bigger picture and He commands you to do it. And for you, as a purely human being, is to trust this eternal sovereign God by believing He knows the bigger picture, He knows the best. And I will trust Him and I will be obedient to Him. That's your job. That's what God calls you and me to do. Not selective obedience. Because, because that's where the drift began in Saul's life. Selective, subtle disobedience began to live with. He began to live with these things. And slowly he drifted away and away and away from the Lord. Come to the second stage of his drifting. Second stage of his drifting. He learns to tolerate loss of intimacy. His intimacy with the Lord is lost. And he learns to live with it. And I want to challenge you, darlings, here this, this, this morning. If you are living with a loss of intimacy with God and putting on the show, when you are in a place of danger, you are in a place of danger. You must live in deep, intimate relationship with the Lord. If anything has hindered that, no matter what it is, you need to take it away. And you need to come back into a relationship with the Lord. Let's, let's look at that. Um, come to chapter 16. First Samuel chapter 16. Uh, First Samuel chapter 16. Alright, have you come there? Have you come to 16? Alright, read verse 14. Okay. We have to understand words a little properly. The Spirit of the Lord left him and a disturbing spirit entered into him. What kind of spirit? A disturbing spirit. Okay. When the Spirit of the Lord is in us, it's, it's a different kind of spirit. But when a disturbing spirit comes to into you, and why is this disturbing spirit coming to him? Why? Yeah, but why did the Spirit of the Lord leave him? He disobeyed. And he continues to live in disobedience. Okay, it's the Old Testament picture. So the Spirit of the Lord is what? Departing from him. Okay, you must understand the Old Testament and New Testament picture of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit uh, with a believer. Okay, there's a difference. I'm not going there. I'm, ho- I'm hoping you know, you know and understand that truth. But in history, the Spirit of the Lord is departs and a disturbing spirit comes into. This is a result of his disobedience. Okay, his relationship with God not right. That is the reason, okay? Alright. Uh, so, uh, what is the solution he finds out? Read. Uh, verse 17 onwards, read. Uh, 
son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, was skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Okay, some of his uh, servants told, uh, you find uh, somebody who can play music, and if he plays music, this disturbing spirit will be calmed. Alright, so he said, find a person like this. And whom did they find? David. He was skillful in playing music. And what do we read? Actually, what do we read? Uh, as he played music, what happened? Verse 23. And he felt refreshed. Okay, that's one translation. Or in another translation, he felt better. Okay, he felt what? Let me ask you, is Christian life feeling better? Is that what Christian life is all about? Feeling better? Is that what Christian life is? No. Christian life is not feeling better. He lost intimacy with God. So what is his what do you call it? Substitute. What is his substitute? What is his substitute? Music is his substitute. And he felt a little better. And then what happened after some time? Again the disturbing spirit came. Again you call for David and then again you play music. And how long can this go on? <laughs> how long can this go on? Benches, you are not talking. How long can this go on? Can it go on forever? No. <laughs> when the music stops. <laughs> till the battery lasts. <laughs> or till the time you get upset with the musician because all the girls like him. <laughs> Right? Right or wrong? Absolutely right. Which is what we are going to see happen with Saul. Which is exactly what happened with Saul. <laughs> so what I am telling you is this. Don't find substitutes. Christian life is not about feeling better. Christian life is for you to live in deep, intimate relationship with who? With the Lord. And if there's anything that is hindering that, you take that out. You confess that before God. You set it right. You come back into a relationship with God. That is the solution. Not finding options. So the question I want to ask you is this. Is there any area in your life where you're practicing subtle disobedience? Some area in your life. I don't know what it is, but God knows. God's spirit knows. Right? When you're sitting here, He knows. He searches your heart. He reveals it to you at this moment. But what will you do about it? What will you do about it? Will you find a substitute to feel better? When God's spirit is convicting you? Or will you confess it, set it right and come back into a relationship with God? Because if you don't do it, you drift further. You drift further. And so, 
We have. What's my time? Fifteen. Uh, 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 fifteen. And I have fifteen minutes. Okay, I have fifteen minutes. So, here my journal. I began a journal series with you last last time I was there. I did chapter one with you, right? In chapter three, we have Jonah. Got them in Jonah second time. Where to go? To Nineveh. And this time, he is obedient, but selective obedience. He goes to Nineveh and he preaches this message, which has eight words in English. Eleven words in Hindi and five words in the original. You will say that's a good message, short and sweet. Brother Sam, let me explain. We'll call Jonah here. <laughs> he doesn't believe. In fact, the city is about three days journey. He doesn't go three days journey. He goes one day journey, and he says, "No way, these guys are going to be saved." He gave up hope. Nineveh ever being saved, but he preached this message in which there is no God mentioned, there is no grace mentioned, there is no sin pointed out, there is no uh, mention of you could confess and come back. There is only one message: judgment. But that message, the people of Nineveh heard and they repented. Amazing. And then when you come to the last chapter, Jonah chapter four, when you come to Jonah chapter four, you see I told you in chapter one to notice words. Did I tell you to notice words? Remember that two words in chapter one that kept coming. Remember anybody? One with Jonah and one with God. The word down with who? With Jonah, and the word with God was great. The word that was connected to Nineveh was evil, but in chapter four, verse one of Jonah, Jonah joins the word "great" and the word "evil," and he says, "God has done a great evil by doing what? By saving who? Nineveh. He says God has done a great evil." Grace to me was good when I was dying in the fishers' belly. I prayed, "You showed grace. That was good, God. I deserved grace." But who doesn't deserve grace? Nineveh doesn't deserve grace. They don't deserve to be saved. And look what he does. Come to Jonah. Uh, book of Jonah, chapter four. He says something. All right, read verse um, verse two, and I want to read it carefully because I want to go to ask you a question. All right, he prayed to the Lord. Is this not what I said? Huh? When I was still at home, ah, uh, that's why I was quick to run to her. Passes. All right. Okay, listen to this. Listen to this. Okay, I want everybody to listen to what he, Jonah is telling about God. All right. Okay, read loudly. Okay. 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 Where is he taking this quotation from? This is a quote. He's quoting something that's already been said. Where is he taking this from? Huh? 
Exodus, but where? In what context? God revealed himself to Moses. This is Exodus 34, 6, I think. If you take 34, 6 and read that also and tell me what is the difference between Exodus 34, 6 and what Jonah is telling. you are forgiven, all that is good but there is one thing you are not faithful or true because if you are faithful and true, what will you do with Nineveh? you will destroy it, not save it you are saving it is therefore what? a great evil Jonah is telling God we are doing something great evil and he takes out of Jonah for God, his character so somebody said, you are made in God's image, but when you want God to hate the people you hate, to punish the people you want punished, or to love the people you want to be loved, you are making God in whose image? In your own image. So tell me, is Jonah obeying? He is not obeying. Selective obedience. He went in a way not saved, but to be what? Destroyed. So let me ask you, will God do what Jonah wants or God will do what he wants? He wants. In chapter 1 he saves the people on the ship. Chapter 2 he saves Jonah. Chapter 3 he saves Nineveh. Chapter 4 he is trying to save who? Jonah, <laughs> the servant of the Lord. So I'll, uh, I have two more points, but my time is up. So I'll close here. And uh, but somebody told me z- ten minutes. Isn't it? I thought it was zero minute. <laughs> you made the one so thin I couldn't see it, <laughs> and made the zero darker. <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. Let's come back. Come back to. Uh, come back to uh, Saul. Come back to Saul. Number one, okay. So, number two, number one was he learned subtle disobedience. So, number two was he learned both lack of intimacy. You know, he didn't settle that right. And then he learned with poisoned relationships. Poisoned relationships. He learned with broken relationships. Very soon, if you uh, know the story. Uh, in First uh, Samuel chapter 18, come to chapter 18. Look at how David, uh, his life is so blessed. 18 verse 1. Quickly, somebody has to read quickly. One. Soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own. Okay, who is loving David? Who is Jonathan? Saul's son loves David. Verse 16. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Okay, who is loving David? All of Israel and all of 
Judah. Okay, verse 20. Now Saul's daughter, Michael, Michael loved David. Okay, who is loving David? <laughs> Saul's daughter is loving him. Saul's son is loving him. Now Saul's people are loving him. He is a lovable character. Is that wrong? <laughs> He's a rock star. <laughs> He's a lovable character. Look at look at the trajectory uh, his his career is taking. Verse five. Verse five. Ah, no, no, eighteen. Eighteen itself. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. Wherever Saul sent him, David was what? Successful. Okay, next you read verse uh, uh, verse uh, fourteen. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. So his career is going which direction? Downwards, sidewards, <laughs> upwards, upward. Verse thirty. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. He went out, out and came. Down unto the people. So here we have David being successful in everything he is, he is doing. Everything he is doing. He is loved by everybody. And then uh, I think uh, the worst thing that happened was the song that the women sang. In verse 7. Verse 7. Saul has killed his thousands and David his. 10,000. So what did that song do to him? He became very angry. The refrain displeased him. And he thought people have credited to David 10,000 and only 1,000 to me. What more is left? He's going to take the kingdom from me. So he's filled with anger and jealousy. And so one day David displays his harp. He leaves him. Because this disturbing spirit is on him. And so he plays his But I think the disturbing spirit is uh, less powerful than his jealous spirit. <laughs> Hannah? Because he takes the spear and what does he want to do? Pierce him. And what is he thinking? If I kill David, my heart will be okay. Will it be okay? If it's not David, it will be somebody else. You have to deal with your issues of your heart before God. Eliminating people is not the answer. Throwing out people is not the answer. Leaving your job is not your answer. Leaving your wife or leaving your husband is not your answer. The answer is to deal with the issue in your heart. Unless that is dealt with in a godly way, you will find no respite from him. And he lived with this, with this, all his life he lived with this hatred against David. I won't go there. Quickly. Saul, finally, fourth point. Saul betrays the very values upon which he built his life and his kingdom. You see, when he established his kingdom, one of the rules he brought was all the, what do you call that? Jadu Tona Alam, kya bolta What is it called here? Mediums. The mediums and the tantrics or whatever. 
एंड द पैरेट्स हमारे देश में पैरेट ही भविष्य बोलता है ना ऑल दिमोव फ्रॉम दिस किंगडम बिकॉज इन फॉर दैट वॉज नॉट राइट इट वॉज अगेंस्ट गॉड इट वॉज अगेंस्ट गॉड्स विल so he threw them out but now when god is not answering his prayers the philistines are coming god is not answering his prayer he prayed lord help me god is not answering is god wise not to answer absolutely wise does he deserve an answer no he has been disobeyed by his will so god stop answering him and so he goes back to the mediums he goes back to the mediums and he has this medium to bring out samuel how that works it's a complicated uh, matter but samuel actually comes up and he why did you wake me up why did you bring me here he says god has stopped answering me he says if god has stopped answering what answer can i give man can i give any better answer or can i even give you an answer and then samuel says okay you want to listen to what god has to say to you Here, this is it. Today, tomorrow, in battle, you and your whole family, your sons, will be finished. You read that his spirit left him. He just fell down on the ground. But he goes to battle and he dies the next day. But there's one word of hope that I see. Samuel tells him, "Tomorrow, this time, you will be with me." So, in some ways. He didn't lose his salvation, but he lost everything else. He lost. This is what happens if you don't abide in God's word. If you selectively obey and disobey, that's where you end up. Absolutely joyless, absolutely hopeless. What a terrible way to die! They killed him. In fact, David sent his men and brought his dead body back, and they burnt his body. What a sad end! But what a fine beginning! And I don't want any of you to end like Saul ended. You be abiding in the Word and in Christ, and you will be fruitful. God bless you. Shall we pray? Father we thank you for this opportunity to learn from Saul. We thank you for revealing and recording his mistakes. They not for us to look at Saul and say what a terrible fellow he was. But it's to look at our hearts and see how terrible we are. Without you, without your word, without your spirit, we are absolutely clueless about life. We pray and we ask that we will search our hearts and see which areas we are disobeying you lord where we are trying to find options to feel better in our christian life are we living with poison broken relationships because lord all this will lead us to a point where we will even give up the values by which we began our christian life help us not to go that path and no one present here to go in that path be gracious and help us to confess and to repent and turn back to you
and set our lives, our relationship right with you, Lord. We just commit everybody into your hand, myself included. We pray that you will graciously continue to minister to us. We give you thanks and pray in the precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now there's time for a quick break and request all of you to be back here by 10.30. All the families uh, will gather here for the couples uh, here for the session and uh, singles will go to the hall, uh, the opposite of it. And please be back by 10.30. It's a quick break and we'll gather again. Thank you. And those who are not collected the t-shirt, they can collect it from Shashank. Shashank, where is it available? The t-shirts? Behind uh, t-shirts to be collected. Thank you.